Good morning, Patriots. Um, I wanted to address you guys before this episode to essentially say thank you. Uh, we have seen our viewership go up tremendously, and we've been taking a lot of bold steps to make that happen, interviewing FBI whistleblowers, of which there are more coming, um, and uh, just going wherever the truth takes us. And we can only do that with your help. So uh, in the link in the description of this video is a place where you can actually help crowdfund the podcast. Uh, it helps with travel expenses. It helps with equipment. It helps with all sorts of things that we definitely will put to good use. If you are able to, we appreciate it very much. If not, the biggest way that you can support us for now is just to click that like, follow, and subscribe button. And we appreciate you so much because, as we say on here all the time, truth matters. Truth matters. So, with that said, Patriots, we're going to get right into this interview with uh, Alex Dwyer. Enjoy the show. Patriots, and welcome to the Patriots Prayer Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Smith, and ladies and gentlemen, today we're privileged to host a rising star in the Republican realm. Please join me in welcoming Alex Dwyer, an ardent member of the Young Republicans and a candidate for chairman of the Kansas City chapter. Now, since 1931, the Young Republicans have provided a platform for young conservatives to dive headfirst into the political arena. This organization stands as a testament to the power of youthful enthusiasm, combined with the unwavering dedication to Republican principles and a staunch support of the Republican candidates. Now, Alex just isn't any member. He embodies the spirit and passion of the young Republicans and his steadfast commitment to the GOP's core values shines brightly. He is keenly focused on nurturing the next wave of Republican leaders. And history has shown us that with the young Republicans under the influential, uh, influential banner of the National Federation, uh, many people have came out of them that have risen to uh, roles in the Republican Party, both at the local, state, and national tiers of the Republican Party. So <clears throat> all, distinguished, uh, all distinguished and unique essence of the young Republicans, while their goals might echo that of the college Republicans, the young Republicans have a broader reach, encompassing not only the students, but also young professionals ready to influence the uh, the political narrative. And Alex... Alex graces our platform with his insights set on leadership within the Kansas City chapter. While eager to explore his vision, dedication, and hopes for the Republican Party's future. So let's uh, dive right into it and hear from the man himself, Alex Dwyer. Welcome to the Patriots Prayer Podcast, Alex. It is very nice to have you, sir. How are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me today. Um, I don't want to immediately correct you, but um, I'm actually. Oh, you can. Absolutely. If, if, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Correct me. Yeah, I'm running for the state chair of Kansas Young Republicans. So it's the oh, statewide okay. federation. There you go. Um, so the, the state chair is the, you know, the head of the state of all the federation chapters that are within the state of Kansas. Um, we do have Kansas City, Kansas, though. So uh, there you, you go. Know, sort of sort of accurate. Um, okay. But yeah, right idea. So tell us a little bit about what your role would be within, uh, what are your goals? What is your vision? Tell us what you can affect. Why, why is it important to affect change at your level and what can you do? 
Well, when you think about it, the young Republicans are really like the first step for a lot of people's political careers, um, either within the high school ranks, the college ranks, or even the young professional ranks. The young Republicans traditionally has served as like a person's first step for entering into the political process. They join their local young Republicans club. They get to meet with state legislatures. They get to meet with activist groups. They get to meet um, with statewide politicians. It's their first entry into the political realm. Um, and historically, Kansas has been pretty solid at this. But recently, in recent years, we have sort of fallen off um, too often, I believe, in Kansas specifically that some of the politicians and leaders treat us as sort of just a filing cabinet for volunteers, where it's really hard to get access to our elected officials unless it's election season, when they all come by and <laughs> give their stump speeches and talk about how much they support sure. the young Republicans. And then, um, you know, after they get elected, it's radio silence from them. And sure. for a lot of us in the young Republicans, we've sort of had, we're, we're starting to push back on that. And we want to be more than just a volunteer list for candidates. We have our own ideas. We have our own goals. We have our own unique perspectives on what the Republican Party should look like. And we believe we should have a seat at the table. And that's what my campaign, which is Vision 24, is all about. So tell us a little bit about that. What is the vision? What, what would you bring to the table? What are those unique insights? Well, to, to start off, we and in Kansas, we do have sort of a operational problem within our state board. The current model for how we charter chapters, how we administer chapter, chapters, how we manage the convention for young Republicans in the state doesn't work very well. It's very hard to start a young Republican chapter in the state of Kansas. Um, the structure for right now is a congressional district model, which frankly just does not work. Um, basically we have, we're supposed to have these congressional district reps in Kansas for the young Republicans that manage the chapters um, in their congressional districts. But when you think about it, you look up at a congressional district map of Kansas, if you're the first congressional district chair, you're stretched from Western Kansas all the way to the Eastern border of Missouri. And that's just not feasible to do that. And frankly, we just don't have the chapters. We have three active chapters um, we, we need to increase that significantly. We have a chapter in Johnson County, which is the largest chapter. It's actually the largest chapter in the entire Midwest, um, based off of recruitment and numbers. Uh, we have a chapter out in St. Mary's, Kansas, which is a town, but they have a very active young Republican scene. And then we have a chapter out in Wichita, Kansas, which makes sense since they're our largest population center that's just in Kansas. Um, but we should have more. You know, we have two major universities, the University of Kansas and Kansas State University, with good size standing populations. We should have young Republican chapters there. Um, I'd be remiss to say we also have a young Republican chapter out in Topeka. I know one of my good friends would be a little upset with me if I didn't mention the capital city young Republicans. Sure. Um, you know, we, we are actually um, considering a move to Branson. So... Uh, just kind of a yes yeah, riverboat place yeah so yeah just a little bit of a slower lifestyle and uh yeah it was one of our one of our uh places we're investigating for sure um so you you you're 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 talking about growing getting people involved getting people out there doing becoming being it's all part of this push i say quite often um there's no more room for the neutrality anymore i mean and it's unfortunate we live in such divisive times 
But when, when, when you're getting, for lack of a better term, when you're getting in the face, you have no choice but to fight back. Um, or you just lose the fight. Um, so it, I tell people all the time, get involved. I don't care if it's out there getting petitions signed or, or, you know, calling your legislators, but not just sitting back and organically letting things happen. Be a part of it. Um, let people know in, on the legislature level that what you want out of them and so that they feel more inclined to actually deliver on their promises and know that you're looking at them. You're, hey, we, we see you. We see you either keeping or not keeping your promises. Ed, what role would young Republicans play in, in that sort of scenario? Are you, could you act at all as a conduit between, can you act as a conduit between the regular folks in that legislature? Do you, at what way do you interact with the, the, the citizenry and, and the, yeah. So we, and at least in Kansas, we have not really as a young Republicans organization, we have not traditionally engaged with the legislature in regards to crafting policy before. And I think that's a big mistake. I believe because a lot of the staffers for some of these people in the state legislature are within the young Republican ranks. And we frankly have just not utilized those relationships to make any concerted lobbying efforts within the state legislature. Um, and we should be doing that. One of the things we've discussed before is having a scorecard for the young Republicans, because think about it. If you're a state legislator, you're a state senator, and you get a D rating from the young Republicans, it doesn't look good for you. Um, but at the same time, if you get an A rating from the young Republicans, you could campaign on that. You could say, look, the young people support me, you know, I support them. It's a good relationship. That's a great idea. When you start grading people, they start paying attention, especially if your grades get press. <laughs> so exactly. it's a great idea. Yeah, you're that some state a, senator is... out in, uh, you know, Chinook, Kansas or something, and you see you get a B, a B plus on the Young Republican scorecard. You say, hey, how do I get this to an A? And that's a great, uh, you know, that's a good place to be in. And we haven't been in that space, really. We haven't proposed legislation. Um, we've been sort of invisible in Kansas politics for the past four years. And, you know, we're the next generation. You know, how a lot of people in my age demographic are upset with the fact that our ideas and our concerns are not heard or listened to or spoken to. Well, we're not at the table and we haven't been at the table for a long time. So these people who are in the legislature don't know what our issues or concerns are. And we need to be back at that table. So uh, how, how would you grade them right now on how in touch they are with the average person and the political needs of your state versus would like them to be? So I actually think Kansas is in a decent spot. I've started to notice that at least in Johnson County, the Republican Party there has started to figure out that the younger generation is much different than their than the you know, classic boomer genera generation, when they look at Generation Z and the issues that are important to them, um, it's things like quality of life, about housing costs, inflation, um, traditional social structures. Those are the things that are concerning to a lot of the young Republicans in our ranks. Um, even at the state level, we've had some good legislatures who have done done things that have been widely praised by the young Republicans. Um just to give a little backstory on the current political scene in Kansas, we have a Democrat governor and we have super majorities in the state house and the state Senate. And a lot of credit needs to go to the Senate president, Ty Masterson, um, because he pushed through with 
sort of a weak caucus, a weak supermajority, a lot of legislation that we really supported, the transgender sports bans. He was able to override a governor's veto on that. Um, that was a big one. That was a big one that we wanted to support. All of the Kansas family voice supported policies, Masterson was able to push through. Then you look at state reps like Francis Auerkamp out of St. Mary's, Kansas. He's been very vocal on a lot of these social issues uh, that we have supported in the past and continue to support. And he's been one of our big supporters in the state legislature. Um, now, we do have a very interesting situation as well where the <laughs> I can't believe I'm going straight to this, but the legislative pay in Kansas is, is going to go up to about $42,000 a year. And that's going to provide a lot of people who are young, who frankly couldn't afford to be in the legislature before to yeah. engage in it and run for it finally, because the legislature in Kansas has been very old for a very long time and it's in need of some new blood. And um, I'm really excited to get the opportunity to recruit, train and elect the next generation of Kansas legislatures with the young Republicans. So I think we have a very big opportunity in the next five years to see some fundamental changes in the political and ideological makeup very, of the state very, legislature. Very interesting because then it, it does give the average Joe the ability uh, to be able to jump right in. Those who aren't independently wealthy or come from money can now take part in this process. That's that's a that's a very great move. That's I like that. That would have that well, would have maybe enticed me when I was much younger, for sure. Yeah, because for the past ever, it's been stuck. The so the state legislature is part time. It's um, I believe it's like nine, about ninety days is the legislative cycle in Kansas. And you know, I was talking with Chris Croft, who's the majority leader in the House, and he said this: the pay in the state legislature nets out to about nine dollars an hour. And most people who aren't independently wealthy just can't, they can't afford to yeah, take off that it. much time for that little can't return. So it sounds like you and I have a lot of the same fight in different regards. Um, I, I feel as though that uh, Republicans, uh, conservatives, that's, I just go broader than Republicans in general. Let's just say conservatives for, for, for the sake of this. Um, we're all looking for a voice. We're all looking for our way to get, and we all have our ideas and, and, and we definitely need more of a presence. I mean, if those who turn on the media and look at the TV and read the newspapers, and it, it even goes as far as music and movies, um, you know, we are seemingly uh, surrounded and outnumbered, although that's not the case. They just want us to think that. That's, that's you know, it's they like to play those types of games. We're the silent majority for a reason, because we're silent. And... Um, you know, if if they are able to give you a seat at the table and give you more uh, and make it more inclusive to those that are coming up who are the next generation, I think that's incumbent upon them to do that. Um, and they should do that. Just like when I, I'm, you know, I, I reach out to to you guys to uh, be able to learn from you as well, because you guys got a perspective, like I was telling you before, um, that you don't hear too often. All too often you get this 10,000 foot view of what's going on in politics behind the scenes, uh, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, and Newsmax. It doesn't matter where you get your news. What you're getting is just scratching the surface of what's really going on in politics. Take the Speaker of the House situation, for instance, which we all followed very closely. And at the end of the day, I felt like what happened was so good because it exposed so much of the swamp. 
of what we really term to be the swamp in um, in Congress. When you look at what uh, what Gates, what Matt Gates was saying um, after it all came shook out, they said, and you can agree or disagree with this. So please let me know what you feel, but that McCarthy was behind a lot of that and made, trying to make it look like he wasn't like he supported Jim Jordan when in fact he didn't, he made it in to where uh, Jim could not get the elections needed uh, in the same with Emmer and then tried to do the same with Johnson, but was forced into a space where he had to kind of expose himself um, by opposing the vote. Um, I would tell me your perspective on this situation. I would love to hear it. Yeah, the speaker race is very interesting because even people who I like have criticized Matt Gates for what he did. And frankly, uh, they're completely wrong. Matt Gates was 100% right. He was unequitably vindicated by what has happened during the entire process up to up from removing McCarthy to electing Speaker Johnson. Uh, Matt Gates was right all along. You know, his grievances with McCarthy were valid. McCarthy worked with the Democrats to pass a continuing resolution, which Matt Gates said that is a no, that is a no go from the beginning. And McCarthy gave them him, Matt Gates, and the Freedom Caucus assurances that he would not do that. And he goes and immediately does it once that he is a so I, I I apologize for the technical difficulties, but you were saying so Matt was vindicated um as to what happened to continue. So yeah, like so, I said, I'd I mean, like to hear <laughs> So from the get-go, Matt Gates um, got a lot of flack from people who I actually respect and like, and he was com- Matt Gates was completely right, and his plan did in- completely work. Uh, Mike Johnson is going to be a very solid speaker. He's the most conservative speaker in the history of the United States, and a lot of the flack against Matt Gates was of like, well, he didn't have a plan, or he shouldn't have done it. It makes the Republican caucus look bad. The Republican caucus looks bad on their own. Uh, <laughs> their problem is that they're not, they've been lying to the voters. Uh, they, yeah. they get elected. They say, we're going to fight for conservative principles. We're going to stand up to Joe Biden. We're going to, you know, make sure we get funding for the border wall and pass all this immigration reform and this and that and that. No funding to Ukraine and all this stuff. And what do they do when they get up there? They rubber stamp every single Defense Authorization Act. Sure they, enough. They rubber stamp every single spending bill. They don't put up a real fight. And they never have, frankly. There's been very few people that go into Congress and actually do what they say they could do. You, it's probably less than 10 people in the entire United States Congress who have uh, act, actually acted like they campaigned in uh, the halls of Washington. Um, but, you know, hopefully with Mike Johnson, um, you know, we see some stuff that's a little bit different. He has a good um, ideological makeup. So I'm optimistic, uh, but we'll have to see how he does. Well, I tell you w- when you saw there were only eight people out of everyone, eight people that was so telling to me that only eight people were willing to stand on principle and not compromise in a way that they shouldn't have. Those omnibus bills are, are one of the biggest reasons the way that they, uh, fund the government and they put all their pork and spending into these. This is one of the biggest national security threats that we have. And I, I, I was very um, uneducated politically uh, until I started paying attention to someone like Ron Paul. The guy had woke me up. I mean, really woke me. Up. I would, was completely enthusiastic. This guy had just 
I mean, he was political Jesus to me. <laughs> he was that guy for me, um, especially when it came to monetary policy and a lot of these issues that you finally see people start to champion with the American First Movement. What Matt Gates did was exactly what everyone should do is hold people to their promises and call them on all of their lies. And when you saw what uh, McCarthy was doing, and, and now we understand how the what the games were that he was actually playing. I mean, referencing not just what he does in the people's house, but also uh, the job across the street, right? So the job across the street, meaning the the guys who are funding everything behind the scene, the lobbyists, those guys, like you are beholden to them. And then this is how McCarthy speaks. Uh, and so you kind of understand where his allegiance is divided to donors and of the people as if they have equal footing and they shouldn't have. What do you what do you yeah, feel I mean, about the lobbyist situation? Yeah, I mean, I don't right now as it currently stands, I don't really know how you fix the lobbying situation because you have to think about it from a practical perspective. I mean, how how are we going to generate the votes to uh, ban lobbyist donations to uh, political candidates? It's just going to be really hard. Um, what you, we can do though is we can keep calling people out on it, like what Matt Gates mm-hmm. did when he was on the floor of the House and he was. It was the vote to remove McCarthy, and he said, I, I reject all of the lobbyist money, and I am not beholden to any PACs or super PACs, which is all true. If you look at his filings, he's, he does not get PAC donations. There's very few people um, in the entirety, even on the Senate side, that are uh, truly independent of that sort of influence. Now, there are some things you could do in the meantime. You could ban the revolving door. Basically, everybody who is a, an elected official has a certain time period ban from going into lobbying, especially federal lobbying. Um, that would be one way to stop it because a lot of these people, if you know they lose a congressional race, it's not really a big deal to them because they just, you know, they stay in D.C. They go get a job as a lobbyist, make half a million dollars a year minimum. That's exactly uh, right. This is what Newt Gingrich it, like did after changes. he left. Newt Gingrich was one of the biggest uh, critics of what uh, Matt Gates did. Called him a traitor, in fact. And then you look at what Gingrich did when when he left, um, which was pretty much exactly what you just said. He went to went to work for lobbyists and got called out on it sometime later when he tried to run for president. And so him saying what he said really just exposes where his allegiances are too. Um, this America First movement is big, and, and I'm really hoping that it catches fire. Um, I mean, I, I love to see the things that I'm looking at now with uh, the Freedom Caucus and um, just a lot of this movement. And, uh, you know, it, it needs to play out. I feel like as if there is a pushback, like there's two uh, uh, two political parties within the Republican Party, your establishment Republicans and then those like Matt Gates and those, you know, that are that are pushing for um, a, 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 a a, a renewed Republican party, uh, a return to the roots of the Republican party, uh, small government, lower taxes. We're beholden to the people and not corporations, um, that sort of thing. So that, that gives me hope. But when you look at the, the Republican candidates right now for president and you see this race, um, I, I'm, I'm really like, I, I see Donald Trump out there fighting and fighting for his life and, all these fake charges being levied against him. And then I see this brand of conservatives that term themselves compassionate conservatives, which really means liberal 
under a conservative guide, uh, guys. And it's party. Once Donald Trump is, let's say he wins that, Alex, if, if Donald Trump were to win this next election, which I do hope he does, um, when he's, when he step, when he comes, steps down out of office, that's, that's the point where my fear really kicks in because I don't, I don't know who's next. And, and what I'm seeing right now scares the hell out of me. It really yeah. does to be quite honest with you. What yeah. Think about it. Yeah. You look at, I mean, look at the debates without him. That's your Republican party without Donald Trump. Are you really excited about that? It's Ron no. DeSantis. It's Nikki Haley, Chris Christie. Asha Hutchins, like, who are these people? Like, honestly, who mm. are these people? What people don't realize, you, no, no, you do have Vivek there, um, who's a very, who's very, he's an interesting candidate. He's basically the entire time basically been the Trump fill-in. I mean, he's regurgitating the same talking points that Trump does, that Trump has. He scared me um, at one point, though. He scared me by saying that everybody on the stage is good people at one point. I'm like, no, guy, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't. Like I said, he's an interesting character. I really think he should just like stop pretending like you're going to be president. Trump's up by like 46 points in every single poll. You know, oh, Vivek yeah. should drop out and run for the Ohio Senate. Like that, that's what he should be doing right now. Then Ohio would probably have the two best senators in the country with JD Vance and then potentially a Senator Ramaswazi. That'd be a pretty good team to send send out from Ohio. But yeah, I mean, you you know that field, the the Republican candidates outside of Trump, there's not a lot there. You know, no. DeSantis has had a meteoric fall from grace. I mean, I remember as early as 2021, people were saying that oh, DeSantis, when DeSantis runs, he's going to carry 40 states. I'm thinking to myself, what planet do you live on? Uh, that's that's never going to happen. You know, sure. I knew that DeSantis had these sort of anger issues and these social awkward, his ability to socialize with people on the campaign when you see the videos of him trying to interact with people, it looks so awkward, robot like weird. Yeah. That's been known for a long, long time. Like that's not like secret, you know, October surprise stuff. That's just who he is. He's kind of a weird guy. He's wearing boots out at the be- out at the beach. Like, what are you doing? Uh, and then you know, <laughs> the rest of them. What what needs to be said about the rest of them? I mean, Nikki Haley is just another George Bush era person. Chris Christie. Dude had like a single digit approval rating. I mean, come on. He's yeah. not a serious candidate. Asha At all. I mean, it's, it's Obama's friend. Yeah, you know, Obama, yeah, Vivek had a good line against Christie when he was like, why don't you give me a hug like you did Obama? That was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that's our Republican Party right now without Trump. Um, well, now all, not I needed all, to hear, lost. all I needed to hear was the girls of The View. Uh, have put their rubber stamp on Nikki Haley. And that was enough for me to like, okay, no, that's, that's an, why would you want to be endorsed by the view? Like they literally endorsed her. I couldn't believe it. Now there are some promising people in, in the current ranks that may be up to the task of 2028. Um, you know, you have Josh Hawley out of Missouri, Senator from Missouri. He has some promise. Um, you look at people like Blake Masters. I know he's not elected yet, uh, but he's now running for Congress in Arizona 8. Um, he'd be an interesting candidate. Um, I don't buy Kerry Lake as much as everybody else does. Um, she would be good, but she'll be too inexperienced at, at, in 2028 to be a president, which is okay. Um, it's good to have someone on the bench. That's something we've I like her fight. I, I yeah. absolutely love her fight. She's got some fight in her. And yeah. um, 
She's young and energetic, so she has some time to grow into whatever role she decides. The U.S. Senate is where she's going now, so she has some time to develop. In a political minefield in Arizona. Um, I did, I did a report, uh, some time back on, I don't know if you paid attention to this, but there's a a law firm out of, uh, Arizona named Thaler and Harris and John Thaler is a guy who was doing some investigating into some, uh, corruption, uh, at, you know, mortgage companies and insurance companies and that sort of thing. And, uh, they sent a young lady into, uh, Liz Harris brought a woman in to testify about some things that they termed to be corruption. Um, and gave some, you know, what they termed to be really damning evidence about people on the legislative body in the oversight committee in Arizona. And then as a result of her presenting this evidence, um, they didn't sue the law firm for that the evidence not being correct or being false or defamation, any of the things that you would do if someone were presenting false information. But they did uh, expel Liz Harris. And I thought that was a wild thing to happen we saw what happened with the tennessee three with jordan pearson and these guys they expelled him but they didn't break any house rules so what they had to do was reinstate him in arizona we see uh someone get expelled who didn't break house rules and we don't see them getting reinstated do you know about are are you had you uh, followed up on this at all no i'm not aware of that that's pretty insider arizona stuff for for you know just a boy from kansas uh sure i will say though we did have a similar situation in kansas where we had this Democrat state rep uh, named Aaron Coleman. He was this 20 year old, you know, far extreme left socialist uh, who uh, ran into some legal troubles for, uh, you know, he was accused and found guilty of like, you know, domestic violence and assault. And uh, he tried to break into the Kansas Department of Labor building and he got pulled <laughs> over under, under suspicion Jeez. of a DUI. And, wow. um, you know, a 20 year old, you know, Great representation of the uh, young Democrats right there. Um, but, you know, I asked one of my buddies in the state legislature, like, so are you guys going to expel him? And they said, no, we want the Democrats to own him. And we're not going to ask him to change his party affiliation either because he's a Democrat. We want the Democrats to have to own up. So that's the closest they got could think of. That was a similar situation here. Um, but I wasn't aware of that in Arizona. Yeah, it, uh, check it out. Uh, there's plenty of videos on Rumble uh, of Frank's speech, which is Mike Lindell's uh, podcast, um, and, and they they go into it at length. It's it's pretty well. I don't I don't want to say too much on here because I'm going to put this on you. So <laughs> they don't they don't like it when you tell too much truth. Um, but yeah, it's, it is it is a very interesting situation, and um, it just kind of highlights some of the inconsistencies of you know how some of these political, you know, fights go on behind the scenes. Like I said earlier, we don't always know, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. We just see at the surface, Carrie, Carrie Lake uh, challenging the election results. And uh, these, we don't know why. And then you watch the actual hearings as to why. Now I don't have a, 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 a real good perspective to say that any of the information was legitimate or not just that the charges were brought and that the, the accusations were made uh, because, I mean, quite frankly, they don't do a very good job at telling you uh, what happened behind the scenes or why she might feel the way that she does at the level that people might want to know. It's, it's it's amazing to me that it goes on like that. But um, you know, let me get your opinion on something else here. Let's let's uh, switch up a little bit. We 
see uh, a rise of anti-Semitism throughout the United States right now. And uh, to me, it is like, you know, imagine us during World War II, would we allow Nazis to trample down our streets and have rallies in the United States? Have you noticed the ever-alarming 400,000 cell towers that have gone up in the United States alone? How about the electronics that reside in every room of our homes and Wi-Fi that runs 24-7? 5G cell phones are carried in our pockets hours on end. Common complaints are ringing in the ear, sleep deprivation, palpitations, headaches, memory loss, and so much more. Redemption Shield is on the cutting edge of offering products that protect your family from electromagnetic and microwave radiation, from Faraday bags, earthing bed sheets, Wi-Fi router covers, hats, scarves, bed sanctuaries. This will not be going away anytime soon. We will continue to see only faster speeds, 6G, 7G, and more exposure to EMF than any time in our history. Start protecting yourself now. Go to RedemptionShield.com and get grounded and shielded today. Use code PATRIOT and save 10%. Um, and, and, and have one political party uh, you know, in elect, elected elected officials in that political party uh, stand in solidarity uh, with these people who uh, are literally calling for the extermination of an entire race of people. Now, when I say a Palestinian, um, I, I'm, I, you know, it, it's really Hamas that we're we're talking about. But a lot of those Palestinians, let's not fool ourselves, um, are pro Hamas as well. So when we see these attacks happening in Israel and this war going on, and your first inclination is to put out a Hamas flag, you're obviously anti-Israel at that point. I mean, let's just call it what, what do you feel should happen to people like Rashida Tlaib who refuse to condemn the just gruesome murders of children and uh, what went on in, in, in Israel, uh, AOC, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, Jamal Bowman, and I mean, Ilhan Omar, what are your feelings and what do you think should happen to these people that do these types of things that have a, a role to play in government? There are lawmakers. Yeah. I mean, this is a symptom of a greater problem within government is that we have, you know, people whose first inclination is either to, you know, support basically to support terrorist regimes um, or to basically swear their, for whatever reason, AOC and Talib and Jeffries, they've decided that you know they're basically like Palestinian assets in the U.S. government, and it's like, what are you, what are you mm. doing? Like this is America. Like you need to be like pro-America and pro-American allies. You, you know, would think. you would think that. Uh, it, it's very similar to a bunch of the Ukraine stuff. You know, all these people, as soon as Ukraine started getting hit, they're like, well, the Ukrainians and the Russians and blah, blah, blah. It's a real problem. You know, we can't have people in the U.S. government who work for the U.S. government, who allegedly work for the interests of the American people, be out there supporting more war and more genocides across the world. I mean, you know, the war, the world is a dark, dangerous place, and we need to be expressing goodness like american influence should mean that we are a force for good that we try to bring peace among the world and you look at hamas i mean it's a the israeli uh, palestinian conflict is just horrible and i don't see a good i don't see a solution that's going to be particularly palatable for really anybody involved because you look at hamas they're using human shields like that's what they're doing mm -hmm. 
their engage their strategies basically is to provoke the Israelis into, you know, yeah, for doing, optics. Yeah, it's yeah. all it's an optical war. They're trying to provoke the Israelis into an overreaction, and so far the Israelis right. smartly have not done that. Um, but I think that the Israeli government has a problem because the only way they can really get rid of Hamas is to do a land invasion into the Gaza Strip, and that's that's going to be a high body count war for both sides because the you know you have to remember that the Hamas they are they are Muslim fundamentalists so they do not fear death mm -hmm. and if they no. have to take down 200 people with them they will they will um i'm not a big war person i detest war um i don't like i i the images that come out of these war zones horrify me and it's you know i i don't see how this conflict ends without at least without probably over a million people dead, including civilians from, you know, from Israel, all the people who've already been murdered in Israel um, and Hamas basically throwing their own people under the bus to just be used as human shields. I mean, it's a terrible situation. And, um, you know, it, it shows that the Democrat Party is just not serious about foreign policy. I mean, they just aren't. I mean, not at all. You know, people at people can levy criticisms at any government but the fact of the matter is is that israel is the only country in the middle east that has any semblance of a democracy the rest of them are just either you know they're like afghanistan which is run by you know muslim extremists um or it's you know there's it's like syria which is just another dictator um and then there's israel which has a legitimate democracy and they have western values um i don't see how you could side with the Palestinians in this fight at all and consider yourself at a, all. a legitimate person in U S politics. Israel offered 90% of the West bank back to Palestine. They all they wanted to, and they said no come to the table and they said, no, and they said, no, they said, I mean, no. that's they all that needs to be said. They, they abandoned the Gaza strip in 2005. And what happened immediately was all of the industry there that would have allowed the Palestinian people to go to work and, and to thrive uh, was no longer there because the Palestinian authority wouldn't let them use it. So now here are these people living in this place. They can't support themselves. And the entire place basically turns into a, a giant uh, training camp for militants and they stay. So to me, if you stay in a place like that, knowing exactly what's going on, you're not, they're not naive. Um, you have to stand with Hamas on some level to be uh, still here, still in that area, not leave. And I mean, they, they tried to get them to leave. Uh, fervently through every app, through, I mean, dropping pamphlets, you name it. They tried every way possible. Um, and there were only a very small amount of those people that tried to leave, even though some of them I'm, I'm hearing were blocked by Hamas from getting out of the area. I, I hear that number was very small from all reports. That number was extremely, extremely small. But it does highlight one thing uh, for anti-gun rhetoric in the United States. Less than 2% of all Israelis own firearms. And I think that has a lot to do with the high body count that happened when Hamas invaded. And it, it's exactly why we should fight tooth and nail in this country for our gun rights. And if you look back at interviews that happened after the Cold War ended, where generals came out and, you know, did interviews, it was friendly terms. And he said, yeah, we, we ran scenarios and simulations of invading the United States. And everyone we ran ended in failure because your population is armed. And here we are talking the same rhetoric again. As soon as Kamala Harris got put in charge of the gun violence task force a few months back, I said, oh, shit, look out for the uh, the the mass shooting. It's coming. Uh, I don't know when or where, but it, I, I just assume 
Uh, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but damn it, look what happened. And this is a post that I can go back and point to two months back. So um, it, I knew they were going to miss no chance at all at utilizing uh, this crisis to their own ends. And it's it's a terrible thing to do it for. I hate to see these things get politicized when people get yeah. hurt and people die. I mean, the, the main shooter thing, I mean, you know, once again, the FBI – Oh, we he was on our list. We knew about him, but they were spending more time arresting people going to school board meetings and arresting people going to Trump rallies instead of doing their job, like catching crazy people, which is what they're supposed to be doing. Crazy murderous people is who are they? They're, they're supposed to be monitoring, you know, people who might end up being like this person in Maine. They're supposed to be monitoring the cartels. They're supposed to be monitoring for human trafficking, for sex trafficking, for drug trafficking, for, for illegal arms trade across the country. But instead, you know, we got to go arrest uh, somebody who went to their school board and said that they shouldn't have pornography in their classrooms. That's who they oh, yeah. really are going after. And, you know, you you watched a YouTube video about President Trump. So um, you're clearly going to need to be on the no fly list. So that's what the FBI is busy doing instead of, you know, their freaking jobs. <laughs> there was. <laughs> I we're on there, I, I, yeah, no, you're, you're good. I, I just interviewed uh, in, in two episodes back. I did a three part series with an, uh, an ex FBI agent, a whistleblower um, who brought light to a lot of these things, David Baumblatt. And uh, he spoke at length. Um, part three of that series, I had to ask him afterward, I'm like, dude, are you sure you want me to put this out here? Because I'm going to put it out. And he's like, absolutely. It's all in the book a book called Patriots Betrayed and um, he had spoke very candidly about the things that he saw with his own eyes while he was uh, in, in, you know, in the FBI. But then we just hear uh, uh, just recently from Jesse Waters of Fox News did uh, a report um, talking about why the FBI may have been seemingly uh, standing guard in front of the Biden administration and not doing their job and not investigating the millions of dollars flowing from the coffers of China, Ukraine, Romania, and others uh, into the Biden family shell companies, ending it as grandchildren's bank accounts and uh, the $250,000 wire that went to his address after Hunter said, I didn't make any money off my investments. Then all of a sudden it was an investment. Uh, just an amazing amount of stuff that it just seems like there no one's paying attention to. And it's right in front of our faces. The admission of son of a bitch, it, you know, he fired the prosecutor. All of these things are just so in our faces. It's like, what's going on here? Is anyone paying attention? And it turns out, according to this Fox report, uh, and I don't know all the behind the scene details of it, um, because it, like I said, it's very surface level. It usually always is. But in his report, he said that the FBI was in turn, um, blackmailing the Biden administration. Have you noticed the ever alarming 400,000 cell towers that have gone up in the United States alone? How about the electronics that reside in every room of our homes and Wi-Fi that runs 24-7? 5G cell phones are carried in our pockets hours on end. Common complaints are ringing in the ear, sleep deprivation, palpitations, headaches, memory loss, and so much more. Redemption Shield is on the cutting edge of offering products that protect your family from electromagnetic and microwave radiation, from Faraday bags, earthing bed sheets, Wi-Fi router covers, 
hats, scarves, bed sanctuaries. This will not be going away anytime soon. We will continue to see only faster speeds, 6G, 7G, and more exposure to EMF than any time in our history. Start protecting yourself now. Go to RedemptionShield.com and get grounded and shielded today. Use code PATRIOT and save 10%. I had a connection error for a uh, second. Okay, so I was asking about the 40 FBI blowers, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, informants that came forward um, that uh, uh, that are reporting on the, the Biden administration and evidently have been there giving reports to the FBI since he was a vice president. And now we know about this. Do you think anything's going to be done? No, nothing's going to be done. Like the Republicans may have a like show investigation in the Congress, um, but this stuff never gets prosecuted because, frankly, Republicans have operated under this assumption. It's like, well, if we investigate our political opponent crime, might investigate us for a, well, the same thing for some of them, or they might try to you know do these kangaroo court style tactics like they did against Trump to us. Well, here's the problem: the Democrats are already doing it to us, and most of us that like Trump already. were innocent. The problem is Biden, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, uh, they're guilty. Uh, they have clearly committed multiple crimes and high crimes. Um, and we did actually like prosecute crime in this country again. You know, I get that ever since, you know, basically 2020, we've just declared the Democrats basically just declared that no crime exists in the country. There's no violent crime. There's no corruption. There's none of that. There's none of that anymore. We could get rid of the police. There's no crime here. Uh, clearly, that's not right. true. And um, too many Republicans have had the Kool-Aid on that. And we need to go back to being the party of real law and order. That means prosecuting criminals. That means investigating mm-hmm. these corrupt politicians for high crimes, for corruption, in many cases, treason. Um, we got to use the institutions that exist to that's enforce right. the laws of the land. And if we right. aren't willing to do that, then they, the people who claim that they deserve to be in these offices shouldn't be in those offices anymore. Because I can guarantee you there's a lot of good people out in this country that can do these jobs. And if the people we have right now aren't up to it, we'll yeah, no get someone else in there that will be up to it. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, we, exactly. we watched Dave Chappelle get attacked with a guy with a knife who jumped on stage. Everyone saw it. I mean, it was national news. The guy had a knife. He This is attempted murder. You know, he was out on the street that night. Um, yeah. I, 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 there are many other cases, like the guy who attacked the the Olympian in L.A. as well. Uh, a, a female was attacked by a homeless man, and he, and he, and he, and he beat her pretty bad. And it, it was a really sad situation. And, and then t- come to find out he did this five other times, and they just keep releasing this guy. Uh, the situation with Mr. Penny and New York on the subway uh, where he had to subdue a mentally ill person and um, to protect uh, the people on the train and himself. I mean, it's unfortunate that this guy ended up dying and that's, but this is what happens when police don't do their jobs, when the FBI doesn't do their actual job, when people don't feel like calling the police is going to be the resolution. What you're going to do is you're going to create people that are willing to take the, the this into their own hands and so then we end up with this wild wild west it, it, this is nuts and it has to stop we need to go back to the rule of law right and wrong need to start meaning more than right and left and crimes need to be called out it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on if the law is the guide the law is the judge not what political party you belong to we saw after january 6 we had plenty of people that were very liberal and antifa 
even go into um, the Jan uh, into the uh, into the house and um, and do damage, and they didn't get arrested. You you know the story of Ashley Babbitt, I assume, right? Yes. So so I I, did, I interviewed her mom. We were at a a a, a, a little thing together called the reawaken tour i'm not sure if you know uh, about it. it was a it's it was awesome uh, and mike flynn i spoke to we had conversations with a lot of folks donald j uh, donald trump jr was there um it just a great event i'm going again in december but uh ashley babbitt's mother was there and we talked briefly about it and then i went and uh got footage from the epic times who did an in-depth inter uh just investigation on this all three of those men standing around ashley we're all self-professed Antifa. Those were the ones breaking the windows out who threatened the two police officers standing in front of the door and guarding that door. Uh, and they walked straight up to them and they said, either we're going to go through you or you can move. And they moved. And when they did, they stood behind Ashley to her right. You could, if you look at the video, they're not far back behind her close enough to where they could take a step forward and grab her. And, um, and there these Antifa guys are bashing the windows out. And I mean, they did interviews later on CNN. CNN didn't say anything about the damage. They did what they were doing there and why they were there wearing MAGA gear or any of the other things that took place. They focused solely on the fact that Ashley Babbitt uh, tried to go into the door and, and, and tried to make her paint her out to be uh, some, you know, seditionist or, or, or whatever. I don't think any of us agree with those who broke the law that day. That's not, that's not the, the thing. That's not the hill we're dying on. Uh, what we're, what we're, what we're essentially saying is that they are focusing on the acts of very few. And most of those very few were actors that were not with the same movement that we're with at all. And uh, a lot of those people were peacefully walking through the Capitol. You saw what happened with Jacob Chansley. He was basically escorted around by the police. He prayed with them. He sang a song with them. And most of the people were very orderly. And it they didn't do any of those, the things that they would consider to be sedition-like or in burn, no, they kill anyone. The only one that got truly murdered that day was Ashley Babbitt by a coward police officer who abused his uh, power and authority and had nobody behind him to protect and it, 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 their room had already been evacuated. He gave her no warning. Um, she had no weapon. So why he fired his gun, it was beyond anyone. And yet, you know what he got for it? A promotion to captain. Um, this is this is not the same way that, let's say, Derek Chauvin was treated or any of the police that shot like Jacob Blake or any of these other people. Now, um I mean, it's just a different set of, uh, you know, rules for one political side of the aisle and another for the other. Um, and my question is, why does that happen? I mean, how deep does this go when law enforcement agencies probably see these same things? I mean, it looks clandestine. It looks like they're all part of the same group going to the same meetings with the same. I, it, it's really crazy to me that the law doesn't decide. Yeah, I mean, we we do on we do actually live in two systems of justice. There are the the laws that apply to the ruling class, the elites, and then there are the laws that apply to anyone who dares oppose them. And we saw that with January six. 
you know, a bunch of sure people enough. who had legitimate concerns and wanted to peacefully assemble and protest, as is their right, um, they all have become political prisoners. You know, the January 6th political prisoners are exactly that. They are political prisoners for voicing their opposition to the establishment, to the ruling elites. Um, and it happens at all levels. Um, yeah. frankly, we don't have people in positions of power who are willing to use the authority they have to protect the citizens. It's like when Donald Trump was getting, was getting arrested and Mar his place was raided by Mar-a-Lago. Ron DeSantis could have stepped in and said, I do not authorize an FBI investigation, an FBI raid in my state. And he could have said, oh, he had the authority to do that. Either That's interesting. Yes. He had the authority to either send the sheriff to obstruct it to some level and basically force it to go to the courts, or you could have sent in the National Guard to pr protect Trump from being basically he's been targeted as a political. Uh, he's being targeted and trying to become the government right now is persecuting him and Biden wants to make him a political prisoner. And, and you have a duty to the Constitution and to your nation to prevent that by any mean, by any legal means necessary. And all these Republican attorney generals, they could have all offered Trump political asylum because Trump is under political prosecution. No one has stepped up to the plate for that. Even some of these attorney mm. generals that I like have not stepped up to the plate on that. And they're basically leaving it to the Trump strategy right now, which is to, they know that the courts are stacked against them. They know that. Um, they're, they have two, Trump basically has two legal options right now. Delay this as long as possible. And when he gets into office, basically pardon himself, uh, which it, no one really knows how that would work, especially because he's not, he's not guilty yeah. of any crimes, but the courts are going to convict him because the courts want to send a message. If you oppose the status quo, if you threaten the deep state, we will hunt you down, basically, is what they're saying by this persecution of Donald Trump. Um, or if by some miracle Trump is able to get it up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court overturns any of the rulings that were made against him. Because Trump's going to be convicted, not in a real sense, but in a political sense. They're going to just convict him even if there's no evidence for it. Um, and that's, I mean, it shows you we have two tiers of justice in this system. Two tiers of justice in this society. And um, I... Uh, other it's than sad, those are, attorney generals it's sad those are the optics i mean that's what it appears to be right it it, it looks exactly like that i mean they've took a, a a misdemeanor that was the statute of limitations had expired on and and bootstrapped it to another charge in order to create one that wasn't there prior you have a a, a lady who runs on the fact that she's going to investigate a man in search of a crime instead of the other way around. I mean, and these things happen right out in front of our faces. So it's not like we're, we're, we're guessing or theorizing that that's what they're doing. They've said as much. And um, it, it's amazing to me that in, in a modern world of, of a country based on freedom, first amendment and the rule of law that this passes muster and that nobody's screaming much louder about it. Uh, in fact, if you turn on some of the left wing uh, news stations and you're watching, um, it's amazing to me how they twist all those facts up to create an entirely different narrative when you hear it. And, and I have some liberal friends and uh, and we, we, we go back and forth and some of the things they actually believe in how they phrase it. It just it just floors me.
that that's that's the that is the truth as they as they report it or you know get get reported to and they they relay it to me i'm like is that what they're really saying is this is what you really actually believe and then when you try to show them like no this is what happened look and they don't want to see it they don't want to hear it it's propaganda to them so we have to be able to get to a point where i think the media the media needs to be more responsible and it used to be that way until uh, Obama got rid of something called the fairness doctrine. Are you familiar? No, I'm not familiar. I mean, I was what that was 2008 ish. Mm. I would have been like 10 years old. <laughs> well, that's what 10 year olds are into. Uh, so what it was is, yeah, I'm really into doing fairness. my electoral maps at 10 years old. At 10 years old, yeah. <laughs> so what, what it is, is it, it, you would get uh, both sides of an issue, both sides of it politically. You'd have any time a news report came out on these larger issues, you'd have a Republican point of view and a Democrat point of view. And that was law. That was what had to happen. It didn't matter if you were on CNN or Fox. Uh, now, when Obama did away with that, what you end up doing is, is one going completely left and the other going completely right, except Fox does have Democrat pundits on. And they do, even when they do like the five and that sort of thing, um, they they do try to still adhere to that somewhat. Uh, not at all on CNN, though. Uh, as a matter of fact, when James O'Keefe did his uh, little investigation of CNN, that was quite telling. When he wore the camera and he sat down with the technical producer of CNN, that was who he stirred up a bee's hive because he got he got he got investigated and raided after that. Do you do you do you know what I'm talking about? What happens when people? Un- yeah, it's see what happens when uh, truth comes out. Yeah. Things tend to yeah. happen well, to the, people so- who are searching for the truth. Yeah, let's just hope that more truth comes out and that we get to a where it's it's received more and we get a, a media um somehow or another i believe something has to happen something has to give at some point um and at least that's my prayer that's my hope that we can return to some sense of normalcy and people uh can get back to a united states where we can sit down with our democrat and republican friends because we've gotten this common ground uh back where we can agree to disagree and it isn't, you know, completely your way or, or excuse me, my way or no way at all, which is kind of what we're up against right now um, with the transgender situation and many of the situations surrounding it. Uh, our social values are being challenged in the United States um, and we're trying to find a way to combat those. But we have to do it tactfully in such a way if we actually want a resolution um to be able to attack those without uh, uh, causing the kind of clash that would actually undo any progress we would make in those. What is the compromise? I mean, how do we overcome these issues that seemingly have no compromise because traditional Christian uh, moral ethics and values that would not allow us to be able to say, respect someone's pronouns if that's what they want as respectful as i can be is to call someone hey or something like that uh or by your name whatever it may be but i can't i can't participate in the rest because of my own religious proclivities um and the bathroom situation kind of falls under that same guise as so does the, the locker room at school and these things and i just don't know what the answer is and how we get people to understand that uh, it's either oppression this way. You may see it as a, 
oppression that way. We see it as oppression this way. So what is what's the compromise? How do we fix that? How do we how do we bridge that gap and, and get a conversation going at least? Well, there's a couple. That's a that's a big question. And it would be very hard to disseminate that into like one point poignant answer. But I mean, there's there's a couple of ways to look at specifically that transgender issue and information. We'll start with just generally with information in general. Um, part of the problem is that with a centralized media structure, there is basically, you know, three companies that basically decide what you get to yeah. see at any given time. And if you're a institution, you have influence in those and co- in, in one of those country companies, you basically get to say whatever you want to the population. Now, what's been really great over the past five years is we've had a decentralization of media. You have now with Elon taking over Twitter, you have the Rise podcast, you have Twitter Spaces, you have YouTube, you have all these other places, many, and you know, you have new media outlets like Daily Wire, like um, National File, all these independent operations, media operations coming up. The decentralization is helping. Um, one of the things that decentralization helps with is they can meet specific needs of certain kinds of certain types of people. So, like Daily Wire has a very specific target audience, National File has a specific target audience. Uh, Rumble has a specific target audience. People on YouTube, different YouTubers have different target o- audience. Every single news or political person on Twitter has a very different style and a very different message that they're trying to get. Um, and that just helps reach different kinds of people who aren't usually thinking about issues like this. Now, the, specifically on the transgender issue, you know, I'm a Catholic and I have a very, very, you know, hard line stance. I don't accept that as something that should be accepted in society. Now, that doesn't mean you're being mean to people, but that means you have to stand for things that are true. And it is just true that you can be only a man or a woman. And it is also true that in society for the longest time, we have had things like gender dysphoria. Um, It has existed. It still exists to this day. And we have decided to just change language without any, without understanding what it means to change the definition of words. Um, And, you know, it's a very sad situation for people people who are affected by this. I mean, you know, they, they have a serious problem and too often conservatives just are mean about this issue. And I don't mean mean Mm -hmm. as in like they say men are men and men and women are women. I mean, mean as in, and they're like, it's just, we have to be willing. Yeah. We have to be willing to say what is true, even if it makes other people feel uncomfortable or even yourself feel uncomfortable. And sure. for too long, conservatives have played go along to get along. Um, you know, it's this, you know, leave everybody alone sort of attitude. Like, no, we live in a community. You have yeah. to be a part of your community. Um, we have to have a shared belief in a God. We have to express our religious and moral values and moral teachings, and we have to introduce them into society. We have seen what happens when we don't do that. We have the rise yeah. of radical leftist social Marxism. That is a symptom of us retreating from the community. That is a symptom of us basically being social isolationists. The mm-hmm. leave everybody alone mantra does not work. If you do not nope. engage in the social conversation, you're going to be excluded from the social conversation. And I I'm, say it all the it's time. It's very nice to see that people. Yeah. 
I say it all the time. I say the oh. silent majority, <laughs> you need to, you need to stop being silent and stand your ground. Um, I've even had, you know, confrontations in, in a workplace where, uh, and obviously I'm, I'm out West. I, <laughs> at times I'm very surrounded, but I'm very cool. You can't intimidate me. Uh, if, if you, my rule is this, um, I get, I, I get along with everybody, but if you happen to say your political opinion out loud, you've given me license to say mine. And so when I disagree with you, I don't care if I'm in church in court, where I'm at, I'm going to do it loudly and, and I'm going to do it right there on the spot. Um, and a lot of people see that as controversial and it, but it's only controversial when a conservative speaks. It's never controversial. Of course, it's never when, controversial when, they, when a leftist says anything. It's only when and, the Republican or conservative says something. It's only when the Christians say anything that it becomes controversial. Sure. Exactly. And I got one last question for you. And I, I want to touch this topic because I believe it's something that affects me and everyone in the, in the podcasting arena um, and just social media in general. Um, it, it, it has to do with the Prop 230. What do we do? With this, if even if the they say that Joe Biden and his administration violated the First Amendment rights of many Americans by the tactics they took uh, with Twitter and, and others, Facebook, um, it, it doesn't really matter if, even if they say that because the social media companies can do that all on their own. There's no no nothing that will happen to them as a result because they're protected by law. We need to amend these laws. Um, so that we actually do have free speech and that we have equal footing. I can tell you right now, there are so many times where I, I tried the TikTok thing and um, it's just horrible. It is horrible. We will put things out directly from the New York post and I'll take it down and they'll say it's a hate speech. And what it's, it's in a report of exactly what happened and they, they don't like hearing it so they just call it hate hey, the speech. truth is hate you have speech. no recourse don't you remember that the truth is hate speech <laughs> according but, but, to these companies what, what do, how, do you do you foresee this congress working to uh finally i've heard so many people talk about it but no one's introducing legislation to change this i mean you know there's a it would basically basically just tell Josh Hawley once we have Josh once we have a Republican House Senate like a good Republican House not a couple seat majority like a good majority in the House uh, the Senate and then the presidency basically tell Josh Hawley to rewrite Section two thirty um, now I think and I believe Josh has a somewhat similar viewpoint on this is it's going to take a little while, take a second to kind of understand why we would approach it this way but you know we need to start treating we need to start looking at broadband connection as a public utility that requires constitutional uh, scrutiny, basically, where, you know, everybody uses, it is the new public square. It, mm -hmm. Constitution has to apply to it. About it. If you're out in the middle of nowhere, if you're out in Kansas, you know, you're in one of our beautiful small towns, you know, there's 400 people in your town, which we have a lot of those in Kansas, and they're really nice places. Um, if you don't have the internet, um, you're not knowing you, it's almost impossible for you to be informed without it. Uh, it I is the agree. public square and the first amendment has to apply to it. And if companies say this is anti-free market, you know, it may, it very well may be, but it is vital to the democracy to have, a especially in a publicly traded company freely. Yeah. Especially if you're, traded company if, you're, too. if you're a publicly traded company, I would think that that would, you would automatically like, you, you don't have the ability to stand the fact that you're a private entity anymore and you can do what you want with your company, you're 
publicly traded. Uh, I just, it, these things that they get away with are absolutely beyond me. Um, and I just hope that they go away soon. Well, Alex, like, I really appreciate you taking the time, sir, and good luck on your campaign. I'd like to follow up with you and some months and see uh, how things turn out. And, uh, you know, I wish you the best luck in the world, my friend. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me today. All right. And thank you. Uh, and as usual, the silent majority, you need to stop being silent and stand your ground. We'll see you next time on the Patriots Prayer Podcast. Have a great day. My people of this country and we're under attack. Patriots, what you just saw was a young man who is taking matters into his own hands. He's getting involved, right? He's actually going out and doing something, trying to affect change. He knows there are things wrong in this country, and he knows that he has to be a part of it to change it. And that's what I keep telling you guys. Go out and get involved. Knock doors. Make phone calls. Write your senator. Write your congressman. Start a petition. Do what you have to do, but don't expect things to get better organically because they won't. If you continue to, to expect that someone else is going to do it, what do you think someone else is doing? They're expecting someone else to do it. This is where we fall short. The left has done this quite well. They have started a grassroots movement that has spread through the education, medical fields, and everywhere else. And so now we have to combat that, and we have to take a page out of their book to do it. So it's very important that we do this. And the time to do it is yesterday. It's yesterday. Now, folks, coming up, we're also going to be interviewing Alexandra Levine. And I'll play a short clip uh, that her and I did after this. And just an amazing woman who comes from a lineage of people who actually uh, played a huge part in founding Israel, not founding it from the beginning, obviously that's long before, but founding it, setting it up, 48, after the Six-Day War, these people were instrumental in making Israel what it is today, um, and, and she has a story to tell, and she has fight in her heart, and she knows what's really going on, and you need to hear exactly what she's saying, and that is none other than Alexandra Levine, and uh, look forward to that interview, and that's going to happen on Wednesday at 8 in the morning, and uh, just a, a great woman, guys. So we expect you to show up, listen, and learn something. So with that said, the silent majority, you need to stop being silent and stand your ground. We'll see you next time on the Patriots Prayer Podcast. My people of this country and we're under attack. They banning us, they cancel us for speaking the facts. If you man enough, come stand with us, take USA back. And every time we pull up, all you're gonna see is American flags. so much again for having me I really appreciate it thank you again my name is Alexandra Levine but my Hebrew name 
is Etel Rezel Bat Nacham Yidel V'Devorah Miriam HaKohen from the house of Aaron, Moses' older brother. I'm 100% Jewish, born to two Jewish parents and four Jewish grandparents. My family on both sides are Holocaust survivors, and my family on both sides survived the pogroms in Russia in the 1920s. On my father's side, we had the name Shartak, which in Hebrew is Sharet. Moisha Sharet, who was the second prime minister of Israel and the first foreign minister of Israel, is my relative. He worked with the first prime minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, and was one of the signatories of Israel's Declaration of Independence. He literally helped build Israel. On my mother's side, the first mayor of Tiberias, Moisha Sachar, is my relative through marriage. He built Tiberias, and his children and grandchildren today currently live in Renana, Israel. Also on my father's side, we have relatives from Brazil, São Paulo, and a little uh, town called Porto Alegre, who made Aliyah, which in Hebrew means permanently moved to Israel, almost 30 years ago, and currently live in Tel Aviv, about 30 minutes away from David Ben-Gurion Airport. So not only did my family literally build Israel, but they currently still reside there, as well as many friends I've met along the way. October 7th, 2023, was a horrific day for Israel. My friends and family were shaken then by what happened and are still shaken today. You see, everyone in Israel knows each other because it's such a small country. My friends in Jerusalem know the victims who died in Sederot. My family in Tel Aviv know some of the victims that died in Ashkelon and Ashdot. A lot of my friends who live in Jerusalem are currently not working and they are staying in their bomb shelters, waiting for further instruction from the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, and Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu. But the Israelis, they're not mad at each other. They don't hate each other. They don't have animosity towards each other. They come together. They care for one another. The Israelis are currently providing food for the elderly and making sure the children are well taken care of. There are Christians and Muslims that live in Israel that are working together. This is what Israel is all about. In Jerusalem, it is such a beautiful moment to see Jews, Christians, and Muslims celebrating their holidays together and living in peace. All Israel wants is to have peace. The terrorist organizations, Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, etc., do not want peace with anyone who isn't like them. They use their people as shields and strap bombs on children and pregnant women and call them martyrs and tell them to kill innocent people. How can anyone feel safe with these terrorists when they infiltrate a city or a town randomly and they kill their own people or they kill innocent people like we saw October 7th? This is not what Hashem wants. This is not what the people of Israel want. We as Americans also want to feel safe when we visit Israel and see the history there. Israel did not ask for this attack, and Israel does not support this attack. And anyone who does is on the side of evil. The mission in Israel today is to annihilate the terrorists and the terrorist regimes once and for all. The terrorists are currently knocking on our door, and if we don't stand with Israel, we are giving the terrorists free reign to do whatever they want. 
Israel is our biggest ally. We work with their agriculture, their environment, military, central intelligence, and technology. This is a part of the Declaration of Independence that the United States made with Israel in 1948. And we must not break it. As State Senator Doug Mastriano said, never again means never again, but never again means now. And now I ask that we stand and support Israel, not because it is the right thing to do, but because it is the only way to stop terrorism from coming across our border and ruining our peace. As President Ronald Reagan said, I quote him directly, peace through strength. But the Israelis also have a saying, quote, peace for peace. We must also continue to pray for the victims' families, continue to pray for the hostages, make sure that they come back here alive and safe, and memorialize the fallen, and never give up, never lose faith, and never forget. And we say in Hebrew, Am Yisrael Chai, which means the people of life, and Shalom Alechem, peace be unto you. Thank you.